Um, it is crazy, uh, and, and shouldn't be surprised by this, and we've been doing this for years and years, but just the way that the Lord works, because when Yuakim got up and shared a little bit about that um, struggle of trying to have it all together, and then he read to you out of Hebrews tonight, that is exactly what I am going to share with you tonight as well. And Yuakim and I did not chat or Facebook message, or text, or IM, or Google chat, or whatever, uh, at all this week. And so that was just a really cool affirmation that that's what the Lord wants in this place tonight, is for us to talk about this. And um, I don't know, I, I um, have very little filter, and so sometimes I might offend, and so we'll start off that way. Um, <laughs> maybe you, I doubt it, because y'all are probably too cool for this, but maybe your parents or somebody you know has a bumper sticker on the back of your car, and then you can probably fill in the blank for me. Christians aren't perfect. Just, do y'all know this? No, okay. So there, there's a bumper sticker that I see all around town, and maybe just because I'm old and I read bumper stickers. But it says, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And I would like to start off tonight by saying that's a load of crap, and that I would like to walk around town with a Sharpie and cover that up. And, and then and I would write something even more offensive in its place that would probably cause Christians in the town to have a really bad reputation. But I'm going to teach you why it's true. I would put instead, Christians aren't perfect, but they're going to be. And that would make people really like Christians a lot. Um, <laughs> because we're already so humble and kind and not judgmental. Um, but I want to talk about how that's actually true. And the problem is not in the statement, but in our understanding of the word perfect. It's a word that um, carries a lot of baggage for us. But it's something that we all strive for. And we strive for it in different ways. I know in this room that there are girls who strive hard to be Pinterest perfect. And that means that like, you want your outfit to be on a little board, with the shoes and the purse that matches, or you want like the cool little banner hanging up in your dorm room or your apartment, or you want for your boyfriend to see that wedding ring that you posted on your someday board. Um, so, I know. And, and so some of you really, really want to have it like all together in the crafty, cutesy, I want a vacation here, Pinteresty kind of way. Uh, some of you want to be P90X perfect. And that, that goes for maybe guys or girls that you want to be so ripped or you want to have like such the best six-pack abs or you want to have the, you look the cutest in your jeans or whatever and you will go to great lengths to have the perfect body, the perfect physique, eat the perfect amount of carbs and fiber and fat and paleo and whatever. Um, maybe you want to be paleo perfect. But there's that kind of perfect that we strive for. <coughs> Some of you want to be like PowerPoint professor pleasing perfect. And you're one of those people who says, says, I have got to get straight A's. I have got to maintain my scholarship. I have got to get the best grade on this test, even to the point that you will cheat. Um, you will, uh, this, this is where I have no filter. Um, where, you know, you will diss your friends, you will do whatever it takes to get ahead and be that perfect student because that's how you feel like you're going to be happy. 
Some of you, and this is so sad because I am 41 years old, and this is still me, uh, are, are parent-pleasing perfect. That you feel like everything you do, you just want the approval of your mom or your dad. You just want to hear them say, yes, good job. And you will, you know, sometimes you'll make up stories like, yeah, I totally sent that check in to pay for my car insurance. Of course I did that last week. As you're writing it and like dating it last week and sending it in the mail. Like we have all of this stuff inside of us that wants to be perfect in so many ways. And we end up in this place, and there's a, there's a theological term for it, and it's called the hamster wheel. It's not really a theological place, but you know those little wheels that a hamster runs on, and they run and they run and they run, and they're going nowhere, but they're trying really, really hard. There is a place in each of our lives where we are striving to be perfect. Some of you, it might even be in this place. Like Joachim said, you're trying to be like, like super Christian, like, oh, okay, now is the time I'm going to raise my hands because that guy is watching me and he goes to core group and RUF and crew, so he is super holy, so I'm going to be really holy too. And we try to, do, you know, to wear the t-shirt or the bumper sticker or whatever, and you're trying and trying and trying, and you're totally worn out, exhausted, because you're on this hamster wheel of perfection. Now, so we go back to the bumper sticker. Why do I say that Christians aren't perfect, but they will be? And then I talk about how perfection is a problem for us. The problem isn't necessarily perfection, but it's that we've, designed, we, we've defined it incorrectly. We actually were created for perfection. But we think we've been created for achievement and they're different. Let me go back. Um, I'm a super visual person, and so I need to just kind of set up a little map for you. This is the Garden of Eden right here, and this is the new heavens and the new earth when God is coming back. And I want to talk to you. We're going to take a huge journey through, really through all of Scripture tonight, and we're going to talk about how we were created to be perfect, how we screwed that up, what God did, what pattern he established throughout the course of Scripture to restore us to perfection, and then where we're headed and what real perfection looks like. So let's start here. Um, I really believe that we were created, that, that desire in us to get it right is something that's actually good, and we've just twisted it and refocused it. When, we were, when Adam and Eve were created in the garden, they were created with perfect face-to-face -face relationship with one another. They were created with a perfect intimate relationship with God. And they were created with a perfect relationship with all of creation. That was perfection as far as it was possible. And then God, you know the story that there were two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that Adam and Eve desired to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so they, sometimes we don't really understand what that tree was all about. But the best way that I can understand it is they wanted to be able to determine on their own what was good, what was perfect, what was right, what was worth pursuing, and what was bad, what was evil, what was not worth pursuing. So when they desired so much 
to be the ones that made the decision about what was perfect and ate from that tree, they lost perfection. They had perfection in relationship, but when, as soon as they decided to be the ones to determine perfection, what happened? They hid. <coughs> Excuse me. They were ashamed. They couldn't look at each other. They couldn't look at God anymore. Perfection was lost because they decided to pursue perfection on their own. So if we were created for perfection and we messed it up, what does God do now? Say, oh, oh well. He doesn't. Because from that point on, and even actually before that point, God knew that we would try to become perfect on our own. And he knew that there was even something more perfect than Eden. Because honestly, Eden wasn't totally perfect. If man had the capability of sinning there, it wasn't totally perfect. But there is a place that we were created for, and that place happens at the very end of Scripture, and that's in the, in the book of Revelation. Zach, um, you can skip the first slide if you want and go right to Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Revelation 21, 1 through 5, this is at the very end of the Bible, and I'm, I'm kind of ruining the end of the story for you because it's important to figure out what happens in the middle to know where we're going. This is John, and this is when the Lord shows him where we're headed, what we're really made for, what's even better than Eden, what you were created for, the kind of perfection that you were created for. John says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither that shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is what we were made for. When I say that perfection is in us, that we were made for perfection, it's because we were made to be heading in this direction. In that ultimately when Jesus comes back and makes all things new, you will be made perfect. You will be made to be in the presence of God when he says the dwelling place of God is with man that means with you, that God is going to be in intimate relationship with you. When there's no crying or mourning or sin or pain, anything imperfect will be gone. There won't be comas. There won't be hiding. There won't be shame. There won't be sin. And that's what you were made for. That's that longing inside of you that wants to be perfect that ultimately that's because you were promised to be that way. Because when God comes back, that's what we were destined for. Even Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 12. He says, we know in part, like we get this a little bit, we understand that there's something bigger, there's something more we were made for. We prophesy in part. He says, but when the perfect comes, 
when Jesus comes back and makes all things perfect, including you and me, the partial will pass away. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Stay with me for a minute on this idea of face to face. Because ultimately, that's what perfection is. Perfection is not achievement. Perfection is not gold stars. Perfection is not six-pack abs or cute outfit or the best girlfriend or the best grades or your parents' praise. Perfection is the ability to stand face to face with Jesus without any shame, without any fear, being able to approach him and know that you are loved by him. And we see this. We're going to see this through all throughout Scripture. The problem is that way back in the garden, the way that I imagine it is that Adam and Eve were, were walking in the garden and they could hang out with God and have that face-to-face relationship. But when they turned their face away from what was perfect toward what they thought was perfect, they lost that face-to-face relationship. And if you think about it, our sin loses the ability to look Jesus in the face. Think about when I, when I listed that list at the beginning of, of places where you're striving to be perfect. Or maybe places where you're, tr- you're striving to even be just good. And in that struggle, isn't it so hard to look in the face of Jesus? Sometimes we feel ashamed, like we're not good enough, not pretty enough, we're not smart enough, we're not funny enough, we're not loved enough, we're not popular enough, we're not rich enough. There's so many places where we feel ashamed, and so we feel like we've got to try harder and get on that wheel and run and run and run after a perfection that leaves us empty the wrong kind of perfection. And, and God knew this. He knew this about his people, that they were going to run after all sorts of things, always trying to be perfect. And so he set up a plan, really even a, um, a not a program, but more like a model to show us how to be perfect. And I think it's so fascinating what he does. Uh, you know the story of God's people how um, the Israelites are, you know, the, the called out people of God and the ones that we follow through the pages of the Old Testament and how they were enslaved in Egypt. And then you know the story of Moses, that Moses set them free. And then God was going to establish a people. He was going to be back in relationship with a group of people the way he was with Adam and Eve. But he had to walk them through a plan of how to be face to face with him again. They had been out of relationship with him. And he, from the, from the get-go, is trying to restore us to that face-to-face relationship. And ironically, I think that what he uses to bring perfection in our lives is not something that we would ever really think about. What I think he uses to bring perfection in our lives is a priest. 
And when I say priest, that brings up all sorts of questions, all sorts of, um, you already have, you're thinking like dude in pointy hat, you're thinking confessional box, or maybe you're thinking, you know, Prince of Egypt, Old Testament priests. Priests, that we don't talk about priests. It's not something that we think about. It's not like, oh, you know what I really need today? Like, I'm really struggling. I really need a priest. We don't think about that. But it's so amazing to look at the provision, this plan, this model that God set up in the Old Testament to bring his people back face to face with him. And then what he does in the New Testament when he calls Jesus our priest and how he restores our relationship face-to-face. Let me show you this, because I think it's so cool. Um, We're going to go to the book of Leviticus. Crazy book in the Bible that talks about all sorts of... um, It's really just all about laws and about priests. About how when God wanted to to get back into that face-to-face relationship with his people, he established a group of people who were descendants of Levi. That's why you get Leviticus. It's, it's all about the, the family, the tribe of Levi, and how everybody in that tribe was going to be priests. And listen to what, very simply, what God says their job is. This is Leviticus 10, verses 10 through 11. It says, You, the priests, are to distinguish between the holy and the common between the unclean and the clean. Does that sound familiar at all? What was it in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that Adam and Eve were trying to do? They were trying to figure out, wait, okay, we want to be the ones in charge of trying to figure out what is good and what is right and what is not, what is holy and what is unholy, what is clean and what is unclean. In, in our desire to try to figure out our lives and figure out the way that we should go in our, our, our own determination of what is moral and yeah, that feels good, so it must be good. And that messed us up. And so God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create this thing called the priesthood. And these people are going to be my messengers, my interpreters, my enforcers, and I'm going to show the Israelites again, remind them, I am the source of what is good and what is not good. And so the priest's job was ultimately to tell the people, this is good, this is not good, because God says so. And it was so cool. In the Old Testament, um, in, in the book of Exodus, God had the Israelites set up this huge tent called a tabernacle. And it was basically a tent that you walked in and there were different stations where you would come and sacrifice for your sins. You'd come in and you'd go, I'm imperfect. I got a cow. I got to burn it and chop it up and all this stuff um, because I know that I've done wrong. But ultimately, the goal was that the priests would help you walk toward the end of the tabernacle. Now, regular people were not allowed to go into into the end of the tabernacle because in there was this special room called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies was the presence of God. And so the goal, it's almost like God gave the people of Israel a visual that they could walk toward face-to-face relationship with God. Just like we can walk, we can see in the story of Scripture that we can go from shame and broken relationship toward revelation 
face-to-face relationship with God. And it was the priest who was going to walk them through and bring them to this place. And so, so God allowed this system. This is, this is what we see all throughout the Old Testament, is this striving to be perfect. The Israelites sinning, constantly coming back, sacrificing for their sins. The priests would sacrifice for their sins every single day. You know, it'd be like, hey, Bob, hey, Larry, what do you have? Oh, I got a calf today. I got some doves today. What'd you do? Oh, yeah, I did this. I accidentally killed my neighbor, whatever. And then we go and we sacrifice for our sins, and then we walk towards, because ultimately what they wanted was face-to-face relationship, restoration with God. It's like the priest's job was to reverse the curse. Reverse what Adam and Eve had done to break that face-to-face relationship. But unfortunately, not unfortunately, I think God was so wise to, to show us that that gives us a good idea of our need, that we do have crap all the time in our lives that needs to be taken care of so that we can be in face-to-face relationship with God. However, he set up an imperfect system to show us how often we would need him. In Hebrews 7:11, the writer says this, If perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise? For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. The writer of Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews is an amazing book that talks about all of these patterns and all of these, um, these systems that God set up, all of these, um, I can't even think of the right word, uh, this lifestyle that God established for his people that would show them, that would create in them a longing for perfection, that would create in them the longing to be good and to be back in relationship with him. But the writer says, if perfection had actually been attainable, like if you really could be perfect by striving and by doing over and over and over and over and over and over again, then nothing else would have needed to be added. However, the recipients of this letter knew who Jesus was. This was the the first century church that was receiving this letter. So they knew that there was something better than just Bring in your bull day after day after day after day. Listen to what it says. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is our great high priest. In that tabernacle, uh, in the tent that God set up, at the very end I said there was the Holy of Holies, and that's where the presence of God was. No regular priest could go in there, and no just regular Israelite could go in there. Only the high priest, one time a year, to cover for the sins of all of the people. Only one time, and he was the only one who was allowed to be face-to-face with the presence of God in that place. So the writer of of Hebrews says, Since then, we have a great high priest. He's talking about Jesus. Who passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. Being on the hamster wheel, whatever it is that you're trying to do over and over and over and over again, no matter how good you're trying to be, no matter how perfect you're trying to be, it doesn't work. Even no matter how holy you're trying to be, how religious you're trying to be, how much of a good Christian you're trying to be, it doesn't work. You cannot be your own priest. But we have a great high priest who gets you, who was tempted in every single way that you have been tempted, who understands our weakness, and yet who went into the Holy of Holies and then was there present in the Holy of Holies. And the writer says in in that verse 16 that Jesus allows us in to that place, that with confidence we can draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. When I was in college, um, I was the ultimate perfectionist. I was so self-righteous. One of my roommates in my core group, we actually, I was in a core group, this was at the University of Colorado. She said to me, Kelsey, you would rather lie than admit to being wrong. She was right, that I was so concerned with being right and being um, self-righteous and having all of the answers together, not only in my faith, but I had, I I would break out in hives all over my body um, because I would stress myself out so much about my grades. I ended up seeing specialists, digestive specialists, because my stomach was in knots. I couldn't eat anything. I, um, I was always sick to my stomach. They did all sorts of scopes and tests and blood tests, could find nothing wrong with me. And I look back and realize that I was wearing myself out in the name of perfection. I was trying to earn God's favor. I was trying to be so good, and I never got that Jesus had already been good for me, that he got me, and that because he had, because he was my priest, he was the way for me to reach real perfection, face-to-face relationship with God. Hebrews uh, 7, 26, and 27 talks about how holy and perfect and innocent he was and that he offered a sacrifice once for all of us. Think about how much of your day, how much of your time you spend trying to be perfect in something. Even just look at your calendar and look at how, what, what's on your calendar. Like, is it workouts? Is it study time? Is it, um, t- you know, time with friends or time with a boyfriend? Or is it, what, how is it that you're wearing yourself out trying to be perfect. Jesus just had to go once. He died once 
to open the way for you to experience real perfection so that we can get off of that treadmill of trying to be, perf- uh, trying to be perfect. In Hebrews 8, it talks about how he is seated. He's, he is in the Holy of Holies, seated at the right hand of God. The priests in the tabernacle, they never sat down. They were constantly running and, and doing the bread and killing the bulls and lighting the fires. and They were constantly working to atone for the constant sins. And Jesus says, no, it is finished. I am done. I did the work to make you perfect. Sitting down. So what do we do with that? So if he's made us perfect, how, how do we get there? Like, how do we live that way? We live that way very differently than the Israelites did. The Israelites were given a set of rules, the Ten Commandments, that they had to follow and that the Levites had to, to help them to follow. And then they were given a bunch of crazy other rules about when to wash things and when to eat things and all that kind of stuff. They were given lists of laws. Unfortunately, we think that we still have to do the same thing, don't we? Have a quiet time, go to Bible study, go to core group, go to Tuesday night, go to Sunday, go to Wednesday night. You need to volunteer, you need to not drink, you need to not smoke, you need to not dance, you need to dance. You need to raise your hands, you don't need to raise your hands. Women need to speak, no, they don't need to speak. We, we have, you should dress this way, no, you should never dress that way. You should speak this way, no, you should never speak this way. You should listen to this kind of music, but don't listen to that kind of music. You should hang out with those people, but don't hang out with those kind of people. And you should go there, but never go there. We have our own set of not only Ten Commandments, but additional Levitical laws that we feel like we need to follow in order to become perfect. But listen, that, that was, that's external perfection. And listen to the promise that this priest offers us as we desire perfection. Hebrews 8, 6 and 7 says, As it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better. Okay, big words. I'll explain them in a minute. Since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would be no occasion to look for a second. That word covenant is promise. That, that was the, the promise of God was, hey, you follow these directions in, in the Ten Commandments, and I'll be your God and you be my people, and we will be tight and we will be face to face. But that was, it didn't work because it was all on the outside. And people just tried over and over and over again to be perfect. Paul says that there is, that, or God says, that there is something better. The writer of Hebrews says there is something better. There's a better kind of promise that we get to live by. Hebrews 8, 8 through, 8, 8 through 12 says this. Behold, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant, a new new promise with the house of Israel, not like the one I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. He basically says, I gave them all of these rules, but I knew they couldn't follow them. It didn't work. It wasn't supposed to was supposed to just show us that our work does not bring us perfection. 
Listen to what he says. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my laws where? In their minds. And I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, you should know the Lord, because they'll all know me, from the least to the greatest. And I will be merciful toward their sin, and I will remember their sin no more. The difference is, through Jesus, we don't have to follow a set of external laws. But what he desires is to write his laws inside of us. Jesus is not so much concerned with what you look like and how you behave and whether you follow the rules and whether you fit the mold, but he wants to transform you from the inside out. He wants his word and his presence and his spirit to be working on the inside of you. He wants his spirit and his word to be in your mind, his word to be in your mind, changing the reasons why you follow the rules. The reasons why you care about things. I want you to think for a minute, what is it that's wearing you out? Where is it that you're trying to be perfect? And the next time that you go to do that thing, instead of thinking, okay, I have to do this because then I'm going to be good. I have to do this because then it's expected of me. I have to do this because then I'll be a good student, a good Christian, a good son, a good boyfriend, a good friend. Stop and say, does this make me more likely to come face to face with Jesus? Ultimately, we are to be made like him, not only face to face with him, but scripture says that we will be made like him. So when you get on that hamster wheel, stop and ask yourself, am I trying to be perfect on the outside? Or is what I am doing making me more like Jesus? Ask him, what in your word needs to be on my heart? What of your word needs to be inside my mind? What is going on in the motivation of my life? Do I really believe that this perfection This face-to-face, unashamed relationship with Jesus is what it's all about. Is that worth it? Is that really what I believe is perfect? And then ask the Lord to change you. Paul says to the church in Galatia, he says, Oh, you're being so foolish. You came to know the Lord by the Spirit. You started with the Spirit, but now you're trying by your flesh. To be perfect. And we all do it. But Jesus desires something so much more. And so I end with an encouragement from Paul to the church in Philippi. And I love this. Because it's really easy to take that word perfect and go, well, darn it, now I have to be perfect. And if I'm going to be a good Christian, then i got to be perfect on the inside too. And Paul, who is like turbo Christian, who wrote half of the New Testament, says this. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Paul, whom God chose as the messenger to the Gentiles, he chose him to be the the mouthpiece 
to anybody who was not Jewish who needed to know about Jesus. He says, I'm not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. There's a difference between getting on the hamster wheel and wearing yourself out and pressing on knowing that face-to-face relationship is possible, it's what you were made for, and it's worth it. Listen to what he says. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have already made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting all that I've been striving for that was not really perfect, and straining for what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Jesus Christ. You all get the glorious opportunity to know that you were made for perfection. And that Jesus, who began that good work of perfection in you, will be faithful to complete it. All you have to do is press on. Draw near to him because he has already invited you to be face to face with him again. You pray with me? Oh Lord, we try so hard to define perfection on our own. And sometimes we even um, paint it with a Christian name. We do things that are worldly and externally perfect in your name. And please forgive us for that. Transform our minds, Lord. Transform our hearts. That you would help us to redefine perfect. That we would see that we do need a priest to walk us to where you are, to lead us, to show us what is good and what is not good, to remind us how to live, how to speak, how to spend our time. Help us to believe, Lord, that you, before the creation of the world, made each of us, knowing that you wanted ultimately to make us perfect. So hard to grasp. Help us to press on. We pray this in your name. Amen.